Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and powered by Overtime Media. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him as the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I want to get to some of the events that transpired with these joint practice sessions, but I wanted to ask you if you saw... That report, we we wrote about it at Mile High Huddle, but if you saw the report on Mike Shanahan on his end, because he was at practice both days, confirming that, in fact, he was, quote, close to returning as head coach of the Denver Broncos following Vance Joseph's failed first season. I did see that, Chad. I, I took a look at the quotes, and I can't believe, and I have to give credit to uh, Woody Page for breaking that story way back when. We both touched on it and wrote about it uh, when we saw 24-7, Chad, and uh, that would have been a bombshell, and uh, it, Kirk Cousins would have been the package deal with them. It would have changed the whole course of the franchise, and unfortunately, it was nixed by Joe Ellis, and that part was true, too. So the fact that if anyone's wondering how the power structure still lines up, Ellis does have more power than John Elway. In hindsight, we were talking about this chat a few seconds ago. In a roundabout way, it worked out for Denver. I like the fact that Ellis, in hindsight, said no because for the long-term prospects of the Broncos, Vic Fangio was the better hire. Yeah, let me let me uh, read this quote verbatim from Shanahan. They actually, he, I mean, Broncos PR even gave him an opportunity to hold court with the local media, and uh, that's where this information came out with regard to him being close. Let me, here it goes. He goes, on how close he was to returning, you know, it was broached to him as the rumor, quote unquote, that he would, he has, he had been close to returning as head coach in Denver 18 months ago. And again, this was right after Vance Joseph's first year. John Elway went, oh my gosh, 5-11, and 11, this is a nightmare. 
uh, reality. It was plain that Vance Joseph was in over his head, and the epitome, all the worst things that could happen with an inexperienced head coach came to the forefront. Elway goes, this, I got to get an adult back in the room, and uh, had a deal worked out with Shanahan. Now, this was, as Zach said, this was reported by Woody Page at the end of last season. So so Vance Joseph's still the head coach in December of 2018. And so this is that report came out a year after the fact. So now we're 18 months away in real time from when this had happened. Here's what he said with regard to being close to returning. Quote, close. I was close. One thing that has to happen is we all have to be on the same page. One thing you have to make sure of when you are a head football coach is that the owner, the GM, and the quarterback are all on the same page. If it doesn't happen, the chances of winning a Super Bowl aren't very good. Anyway, if that situation happened, I was going to take it. If not, but anyway, I had a great conversation with John, as everybody knows, (laughs) confirming Woody, and it didn't work out, and sometimes it works out for the right reasons. Close quote. So, I concur with him. It's it's interesting, you know, he, he confirms the report from from Woody Page, but I like the way he finished that out saying basically that, you know, the fact that it that that Ellis put the kibosh on it could end up being a blessing in disguise because now you got Vic Fangio eighteen months later. Great, great scoop by Woody Page. And, you know, it's very classy by Shanahan to kind of defer to Vic Fangio and uh, and give him that compliment. He didn't have to, and he wanted that job, Chad, and he de- deserved it a lot more than Vance Joseph did. And it would have been a good hire. It would have uh, satiated a lot of the fan base. But in retrospect, looking back, it- it's good to see they practice just a little more patience, unfortunately suffered through another year of Vance Joseph, but got a coach in Fangio who, for the long run, was the right choice. There's still a few more topics with regard to Shanny that we are going to get to on today's pod. We're also going to circle back and cover a couple of questions from the mailbag on Friday that we were unable to get to. And then also cover what took place, basically, a recap of these joint practices from Friday and Saturday. But first, a quick reminder, and this is especially for our new listeners of the show, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Why? That's the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time at Huddle Up Pod. If you're on iTunes and, and our show is growing at a 15 to 20% margin week in and week out at this point in time, if you're a new listener on iTunes and you like what you hear, hey, give us a, a creative review and a five star rating. Even if it's not, you know, a long review, it could be one or two sentences, one sentence for all for all we care. Give us a review. You guys have no idea how much that helps us on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. You guys rock. Keep doing what you're doing. Fantasy football fans, you got to listen up. Do you want to join the biggest NFL season-long tournament ever? Of course you do. If you love fantasy football, and we know you do, then you need to enter the $3.5 million Best Ball Championship on draft. That's right, $3.5 million in real money. It is absolutely enormous. It's huge. It's season-long. But there's no management. You just set it, you forget it. So instead of agonizing over your lineup every single Sunday, Draft does the analysis for you, gives you the most efficient, best odds to win your matchup lineup week in and week out. You do a draft, 16 weeks later, you could be a millionaire. Literally. It does not get any easier than that. It's the highest rated fantasy app, and it's available on the App Store and Google Play or you can just go online to draft.com. For a limited time only, you can get a free entry into the Best Ball Championship when you make your first deposit. But you have to use our promo code HUDDLE. That's right. 
a free shot at a million dollars just by using our promo code HUDDLE when you make your first deposit on Draft. Also, a phenomenal way to support the Huddle Up podcast. Just search Draft in the App Store or go to Draft.com and come play free with promo code HUDDLE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, Zach, another aspect from uh, the Mike Shanahan angle that I wanted to touch on, and I wrote about this as well uh, late Sunday, is the fact that John Elway confirmed that Mike Shanahan had his fingerprints on the Rich Scangarello hire. Now, let me just set the stage and remind everybody of the events that transpired last January. So Vic Fangio is the hire. All right. They said about the process of filling out his, his coaching staff and they zero in on the quarterback's coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Rich Scangarello. They put in the request. The request gets denied their interview request by Kyle Shanahan. Well, in comes Mike Shanahan. John Elway confirmed this on Saturday at that joint practice session that, yeah, I actually brought in Mike. We sat down. We talked. We met. Basically, I'm paraphrasing John here. With regard to Rich Scangarello, he got, Rich, he got Mike's opinion uh, and a recommendation on Scangarello. And then also we've been wondering, like, what was it that made Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch finally budge and relent and allow the Niners to interview Rich Scangarello? Because, of course, if Rich Scangarello is offered the job, he's going to take it. I mean, it's like quadrupling whatever income he might have been making, if not more, as a, as, an, as a quarterback's coach. Of course he's going to take the job, which is why they blocked him. Well, not only why, but one of the reasons why they valued him, obviously. And so the Broncos get him, and you got to wonder how much Mike Shanahan, being the father of Kyle, Zach, you know, influenced the, hey, uh, Kyle, you know, let's let's give this up. You know, Rich deserves an opportunity. Here he has a chance to advance his NFL career, and the rest is history. Yeah, you know, it pays to have people in powerful places, Chad. It's nice that Shanahan can kind of be a, a boon and a, and a third party and a middleman of sorts for the Broncos and the 49ers. It was ultimately a favor on the part of John Lynch, on the part of Kyle Shanahan, two people who have a lot of familiarity with the Broncos organization. And it was, like you said, it was a, a good opportunity for Scangarello, and they did right by him, allowing him to take a promotion. All in all, though, I don't think – Having Mike as the father of Kyle, even though that Kyle wasn't hired by the, the Broncos as head coach, it didn't hurt, certainly. I don't know if it helped. It, it definitely wasn't the, the final factor. It definitely wasn't the impetus for that to happen. But I, I'm sure it didn't hurt having that, that other guy there in the corner that can say, listen, this is the guy you should go after, or this is why you should let him join the Broncos and advance his career. I just like that increasingly – the Broncos are weaving Mike Shanahan back into the yep. fabric of the team. And, you know, it's one thing that, obviously, for most fans, you guys know this if you don't, when, when Mike Shanahan's uh, tenure as head coach in Denver, 14 years he was the head coach, brought two world championships to the team, the all-time winningest head coach in Broncos history, when his tenure was coming to a close, from what I've been told, Joe Ellis, had a, had, they had been butting heads. 
and Joe Ellis had an influence, and you want to talk about an impetus, to persuade Pat Boland to pull the plug on 14 years that, you know, for the majority of that time, the Broncos have been wildly successful, but in those final three seasons, all of which uh, were tied to Jay Cutler as well, the Broncos did not make the playoffs, and, and the rest is history. So there was some bad blood, and it's been pretty widely reported that the relationship between Mike Shanahan and Joe Ellis has been a rocky one, and obviously, especially once Pat Bolin had to step away from the team and the stewardship, if you will, basically the owner role of the Broncos had been had devolved onto Joe Ellis, Mike Shanahan had been persona non grata. But ever since that moment in which Elway tried to bring Shanahan back, yes, he got kiboshed by Ellis, but somehow that shook things up a little bit because Ellis is seemingly... Maybe it's because Elway's now an official president of the team. He's president, no longer vice president, but president of football operations, while Ellis is president and CEO on the business side. I don't know exactly what the reasons are, Zach, but I'm glad to see Mike Shanahan being woven back into this thing because he is an invaluable resource. You know, whether even if things go sideways with Scangarello, and we've talked about some of our concerns, not so much doubts, but concerns about him being the OC, never called plays in the NFL before, five years of NFL experience coming into this job. There's some there's some concerns there if things don't work out perfectly. And again, he's operating a system that's built on the bones of what Mike Shanahan established in Denver. You got Mike right there for whatever reason, however you might need to lean on him. Yeah, I'm definitely with you, Chad, and it's well said. It's nice to see the Broncos are uh, doing things right and, and, and mending fences. They did the same thing with Al Wilson recently. They had him announce a draft pick. Another guy they kind of froze out of the picture and kind of brought him back. I don't know whether it's – it's not because they won the Super Bowl. We know that. It's either this losing streak they're on or Elway doing an about face and looking himself in the mirror or Joe Ellis or both and and forging better relationships and kind of creating better football karma out there. But I think it will come back to benefit them, and it might have already with the higher Scangarello. It cannot hurt to have Mike Shanahan in your corner. And to see him out there on the field and he's already still checking out the game and getting back into it like a coach chat. He's watching the Broncos practice on a hill and really getting into it. It's nice to see that, and it can only help a young coaching staff. And I say young in the sense that Fangio's a rookie coach, Scangarello's a rookie coordinator. This is a young staff in that sense. And having a veteran presence around like like Shanahan or Peyton Manning had practiced, it's definitely a boon. And I like, too, that Mike Shanahan also had the coach speak cliche, cocked and loaded, ready to go, asked about the the proceedings on the field during those joint practices. He goes, well, I got to watch the film or I haven't watched the film yet. It's like, dude, who's who's film you watching, bro? Where are you get? Oh, well, that's right, your son. That's right, he's the head coach of the. Okay, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's progress. I like seeing. I mean, Mike should be in the ring of fame. Frankly, yeah. I've been. I'm of the opinion. I had a conversation not too long ago with Doc Bear about this. That I'm of the opinion Mike Shanahan deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not only because he is one of the premier NFL teams all-time winning as head coach. But he's one of a very short list of NFL head coaches all time to win multiple world championships with the same team and back-to-back nonetheless. So he should be long overdue in the Broncos' ring of fame. And I'm hoping someday, Zach, I think he's got a case, not only for his production in terms of wins and losses and the world championships and all that stuff, but also the way he helped take the Bill Walsh West Coast offense of the 80s and Put a new spin on it with the zone blocking scheme and all the the rushing production that 
that came out of what Shanahan built in Denver in the mid to late 90s that now, I mean, if you look around the league, a half, maybe more of NFL teams are running a scheme built on that same foundation that Shanahan established. I think you can definitely make the case, Chad. I, ultimately, I, he'll fall just short, I believe. And if it took Pat Bowlen that long to get in, I mean, I don't think Mike Shanahan has much of a chance, at least in the near uh, future. I will say I think he'll be for sure. I can think you mark it down as a certainty he'll be the next Broncos ring of famer, especially if this this relationship continues to go in a positive direction. He'll get in that in that sense. You know, I don't know about the Hall of Fame, though. Well, let's talk about what basically took place on Friday and Saturday with these Niners-Broncos joint practices. Now, you guys are listening to this podcast on Monday. And, of course, tonight you have a game to look forward to. The Broncos and the Niners are going to throw down. I want to talk about what happened, though. So Friday, let me just dial this thing back. The Broncos, uh, you know, they're the home team. In come the Niners to their facility, onto their field. And the Niners just punched them in the mouth. Like, they just got shell-shocked. And uh, coming out of that practice on Friday, Rich Gangarello talked about how, you know, the, the, the Niners just played with more uh, urgency. You know, they set the tone, basically, and, and the Broncos never really recovered. And, and we found out from a quote from Philip Lindsay the next day kind of why that took place. He said, quote, I think we went into it as this was going to be a practice. This is Philip Lindsay talking to Mike Cliss. They came into it like it was a game, and they shocked us a little bit. We didn't get knocked down, but we got stung. We regrouped, and did you see us out there today? And so Friday, not so good. Broncos defense did fine on their end. The Broncos defense going against the Niners offense held their own, looked great. And that's where Vic Fangio, of course, being the defensive play caller, spent the majority of his time he didn't see anything in terms of the offense during practice. But once he watched the film, he came back Saturday after that practice and, and t- said, yeah, it was, uh, it was not good from the offensive side. However, Zach, the good news is the Broncos offensively bounced back in a big way on day two. And if you listen to Emmanuel Sanders, he says, quote, this is after the second practice. They won the first day, we won the second day, and we got a game on Monday for the championship. So <laughs> – I'm looking forward to this one. It's perfectly said by Emmanuel Sanders, and I want to echo what Philip Lindsay said because he was on the right track, and it was something I was going to put on Twitter. I wasn't putting any stock into the first practice. I'm not putting much stock into the second practice. They are still training camp practices. As Lindsay said, they are practice. We're talking about practice here, and not much can be really said about the game tomorrow. So I don't want Broncos fans to read too much into the lackadaisical offense or uh, the fighting that was going on. This is not going to translate over into the regular season. You could have almost predicted certain things were going to go certain ways. And if the Niners came in that charged up and were treating it like a game, Chad, uh, that's just more about them. And the Broncos, to their credit if they were more even keeled and not puffing out their chest because they wanted to hit someone else so this game is going to be exciting but for two one person to read too much into one practice it goes along with all the other narrative narratives this offseason that it doesn't mean a whole lot ultimately we can't read a whole lot into one singular practice so if the offense was bad one day they rebound the next day the next practice they have they'll probably be mediocre they'll probably be up and down this is how it's going to go I'm just seeing these things on Twitter. I know I'm kind of ranting right now, but a lot of Broncos fans, again, were stepping out onto the ledge like they have with Drew Locke or Noah Fant about these practices, and you just can't read too much into them. Great point. I mean, absolutely salient point. That's the takeaway. And what should encourage fans is that, 
you know, the Broncos went into it that first one like a practice, you know, like you, you still want to play with intensity. You still want to play with physicality. But at the same time, we're talking about the stakes of a practice. And then knowing that they kind of got bent over on their own turf, they came out. Here's the encouraging aspect. They came out on day two, and they were the ones that set the tone. So they had to. That's, yeah. That should be encouraging, and, and I think it might be, you know, there's so simil- so many similarities between these two teams from a schematic and a personnel and a coaching perspective, but it'll be really interesting to see how this particular third preseason game for the Broncos, second for the Niners, shakes out on Monday night. Now, we still have a few questions that we got to answer that were left over from last week's Mile High Mailbag. We're going to get to those on the other side of this break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach. There's a few questions that we did not have time to get to, which is rare, on our Mile High Mailbag episode on Friday. So let's get into it because we are your football priests, Zach and I. And each and every week, whether it's Friday, whether it's Monday, no matter what day it is, we're here to provide you the answers and absolution to your Burning Broncos questions. And we missed a couple. We just couldn't get to them. So let's dive in here. This question comes from Mace Whitehead on YouTube. Hey, guys, a few questions for you. Number one, where do you think Joe Flacco realistically falls when ranking AFC quarterbacks? Let's just start with that one for now, Zach. Where does, you know, we can, uh, we haven't, we don't have it broken down by AFC and NFC to, to make a nice, easy, convenient list, but is Joe Flacco a top 10 quarterback in the AFC? I mean, we're talking about 16 teams here. Uh, I would put him about about eight to ten or so. I, I think eight if he hits where he should hit. If the Broncos think he should hit this this season with that supporting cast and he stays healthy and, and all the stars stars align, or it could be ten or lower in the AFC if he bombs again. If he gets injured, I think that's his range. So he's not an upper echelon quarterback. He's certainly not among the the Brady's or the Patrick Mahomes or maybe even the Philip Rivers at this stage of his career. He's just not that type. So eight to ten, I think, is his range in the AFC. Really, realistically. Yeah, I mean, if we we put up the top ones in the AFC, we're talking about Tom Brady. We're talking about Ben Roethlisberger, Baker Mayfield. Baker is right. Andrew Luck. You know, yep. there's some studs in the AFC in terms of, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, for crying out loud. So Phillip Rivers is there, and you even got some of the middling guys who have shown Pro Bowl caliber in the past, like Derek Carr. I would think that's fair, Zach. I think that right now, in terms of the AFC, you put him somewhere right around the middle, somewhere between yep. 8, 10, and say, hey, look, you know, you got to prove it in 2019 that you can, you know, rank higher than that and be more than that. Let's grab this second one here from Mace. What is the weakest position group on the team? Zach, my answer is is inside linebacker. What do you got? Yeah, far and away, I think uh, you, know, you can point to some aspects of the offensive line and some of their depth issues there, maybe even tight end, even with fans' presence. But yeah, uh, all the injuries taking place and the fact that even on paper with Todd Davis and Josie Jewell, it wasn't blowing me away, Chad. I mean, they're a solid duo, but they're not certainly spectacular at all. So yeah, inside linebacker now and with the starters and the depth issues they have and uh, considering how of uh, this defense, there's pro bowlers and all pro talent pretty much at every level, but that level. So for sure, inside linebacker. I would also throw out offensive line depth. However, as Nick Kendall pointed out on the last Building the Broncos podcast, that's a league-wide issue, offensive line depth. So, you know, the Broncos, all they can do, cry, cry me a river basically, right? Everyone's got that problem. All right, last one here from Mace. He says, do you feel that Coach Fangio's approach is endearing or repelling from a player's perspective? Mace, 
two things. One, from based on everything we've heard from the players thus far, it's more than endearing. I mean, it, it, he is getting everybody to buy in. And the big thing I think that concerns fans is when he just tells it like it is about a player publicly to the media at the podium. But at the same time, you think, ooh, what kind of an effect could that have on like a young Drew Locke's psyche, you know, his developing psyche as an NFL quarterback. But it was it's one of those things, too, that like if you look at Bill Parcells, he was known as a master psychological manipulator in the best sense. Like, he knew when to give, you know, the negative to, to a player in order to inspire the best, when to maybe encourage them is the best way to get the most out of them, all while not realizing, not allowing the player to recognize till after the fact, till they he led him to where he wanted that player to be, that they had, in fact, been manipulated. And I'm not saying in that sense that Fangio is some psychological genius, but he's been in this league for four decades. The dude right. knows how the sausage is made, and... The way you can go back to all of his NFL stops as a coordinator and a linebackers coach, Zach, and he is respected and ultimately by the players, and then ultimately the production is there. You know, there are documented cases where first-time head coaches come into a building and they try to assert themselves and call the shots and do things their own way and be a Bill Belichick. You saw it with McDaniels. You saw it with Mangini. That's not the same thing with Vic Fangio. He garners respect because the players, after two years of Vance Joseph, they want to be pushed. They don't want to be coddled. They don't want to be left to their own devices. They want a guy to come in and make them better. Von Miller is the biggest example of that. This is a future Hall of Famer who Vic Fangio was called out multiple times, and he has hasn't made any noise about that. He hasn't complained like someone like you know Chris Harris Jr. would do. He just went to work and he agreed with them. He wanted to be better. And that's the big difference is that he already has that respect. And multiple players all offseason have talked about it. The respect that he's drawn in practice and you know they're unconventionally long they're padded they're they're hard practices and the players like this this is what they want they will never publicly admit they love practice but under Vic Fangio it's making them a better team and better players it's exactly what they want after pretty much wasting two years of their careers under Vance Joseph well said all right next question here comes from air traffic control he says how is Noah Fampin looking this last week and was it worth giving up on Devin Bush now Zach, I'll let you answer how no offense been looking, but I don't really, ex- I shouldn't say accept the premise. I think your premise, air traffic control, with regard to the Bush thing is flawed because it's, it wasn't just that by taking no offense or by passing up Bush, you know, the Fant connection, all that. You got to remember when the Broncos, the Broncos basically passed on Devin Bush in order and came away with no offense and Drew Locke. If that's not a, I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out through the, the, the lens of history from a retrospective, you know, down the road. But you got to remember, they got an additional pick that led, gave them the ammo to move up in the second round and get Drew Locke as well as Noah Fan. That's a great, great, great point, Chad. And I don't think it's fair to Noah Fant to compare, you know, to hold it against him that the Broncos didn't take Devin Bush. Fant has looked better in practice. We talk about it almost every podcast, Chad. But uh, John Elway said himself he's looking good. He's right where the Broncos thought he would be at this stage of his his development, and he's going to get better and better. He's gotten really good and, and surprisingly good with his blocking. That's one thing that the team has been happy with and surprised about. But he's a, a, a long-term project. I still think in 2020, that's when he'll take the next step to a Pro Bowl level. 
In terms of Devin Bush, uh, they supposedly and reportedly had his name on their draft card before you know, changing their minds. So they wanted him, and he would have been a good addition, and he would have taken this defense to new heights. But you can't challenge Fangio. You can't challenge Elway right now. You have to give them the benefit of the doubt, at least for this season, and see what they can do and make chicken salad out of that inside linebacking group. But I'm one person, Chad, who's been saying all offseason, sign someone, trade for one, draft a pure one high in the draft, and they didn't do it. It could come back to bite them. Bush would have been a good player. But to hold his you know, lack of appearance in a Broncos uniform against Noah Fant is not very fair. Yeah, all we can hope for on the off-ball linebacker is that the Fangio bump is going to trickle downhill to everybody and that we might see some kind of a leap forward from the second-year guys, including Josie Jewell, Alexander Johnson, perhaps Keyshawn Bieria. We'll see how it shakes out. Now, last question that we got to get out of here comes from Juice. He says, it's fun to talk intangibles. I'm starting to firmly believe that Coach Fangio is on his way to being loved by these players in the way that Wade Phillips was. I keep saying his personality is like a mixture of Phillips and Bill Belichick. Am I crazy, or is he really building a connection as quickly as it seems from the outside? We all know that kind of connection can result in great things. Also, how about an MHH Fantasy League? Maybe four staffers and eight randomly selected Mm. readers or listeners? Uh, let's tackle that one real quick, and then I'll serve the main gist of his question over to you, Zach. You know, I know Eric Trickle was uh, opening some fantasy leagues. Check him out on Twitter, at Eric Trickle. There might be a, an opportunity for you there, Juice, if you're interested in that. And this is something we've done at Mile High Huddle before, where we've had premium subscribers, VIP subscribers. You know, we've given them an opportunity to uh, play fantasy with us in uh, and the staffers throughout a season-long league. But this year, with so many changes for us, it's just not something I can really focus on at this point, and it would, you know, unfortunately, it would have to be me that kind of is the impetus behind that. So, not this year, my friend. I uh, keep it as a feather in the cap. We'll look at that down the road. But back to the the main question here, Zach from Juice. Do you see that uh, what he's saying here? Can you see how how Fangio might be a mixture of Phillips and Belichick? Well, I mean, considering I just referenced Bill Belichick, yeah, he he definitely has that aura about him already, but he's not going overboard with it. And I wouldn't even say that he's on his way to being loved by the players. He's already loved by the players, Chad. That's how quick he's instilled this culture, and that's how quick he's overtaken this team, just by the mutual respect he's shown them. And he's a a big boy. He's been in this league a while, like you said. He's accomplished. He wasn't a defensive coordinator with one-year experience like Vance Joseph, who in his second season tried to be this tough guy. He's not a tough guy. He's an old-school guy with a progressive new-school approach who goes about his business and commands respect quietly and conveniently for his players. So he's already loved by them, and he's going to be a very good coach for a very long time. Let me leave you with a quote from Mike Shanahan on Vic Fangio. He says, quote, I know Vic. He's a great football coach, a no-nonsense guy that understands the game. Being around him, trying to game-plan him for years and years— I just like the way he handles himself. He's kind of like a man's man. There's no BS. He gets to the point. I think players will follow him very quickly. That's from Mike Shanahan on Vic Fangio. But, hey, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Zach and I will be back in the saddle tomorrow with a gut reaction to whatever takes place tonight on Monday Night Football, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman. NFL, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Have a great day, you guys. Enjoy the game tonight. We will be back to talk to you guys tomorrow. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. 
You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.